Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. I'm recording this on the 20th of September, another day of global climate strikes. It's brilliant to see so many people all around the world getting involved, campaigning for positive action from businesses and politicians. Unfortunately, getting to the nearest strike would have meant nearly two hours in the car for me. So instead, I decided it would be better to do some work on the second edition of my Circular Economy Handbook. Today, we're on to episode 11 of the podcast, and we're talking to Izzy Erickson. Izzy is the founder and driving force behind Apparel Exchange, a Scottish social enterprise aiming to make it easy to reuse school uniforms instead of wasting them. Apparel Exchange works with schools across Glasgow. There's an online shop, a store in Glasgow, plus pop-up shops in schools. People donate uniforms at the shops or at collection points in schools. Everything is sorted and quality checked. Anything below the quality standard goes to a registered textile recycler. Clothes in excellent reusable condition are washed, ironed and then made available for resale. We discuss how to make reuse and pre-loved clothing cool how to persuade people to opt out of fast fashion and some of the subscription models popping up for clothing. Have a listen. We start with Izzy's background. I mean, I've always been interested in the environment and conservation from a very young age. I was lucky enough to grow up in Yorkshire, so I was completely surrounded by beautiful hillside. And so I think that appreciation of nature at a very early age had always kind of been kind of a value at the heart of everything that I've done from a career perspective. Um, So I get to university and I studied zoology. And, you know, I think that really just gave me, again, a wider appreciation of the biodiversity of, of life on our planet. And, you know, kind of left with my degree going, I need to conserve and preserve this planet in whatever way I can. And And back then, that really drove me to get into kind of community-based cycling and composting projects and kind of conservation work. And there, running my own social enterprise in Glasgow. And I think really from there, as, as the narrative around the circular economy has kind of developed over the last kind of 10 years, and my other job at Zero Waste Scotland, um, it's really sort of, I've seen this overlap between the ambitions of the circular economy and what I I suppose has a real core interest, which is the the social economy as well. And so 
Because, you know, the sector of clothing, the industry of clothing is very competitive, you know, and I've gone in there saying, I want to do something circular in this space. And we've made loads of progress, but we still have lots to go. So, Brilliant. So that's that's a really interesting story of kind of, you know, zoology to fashion. But I, um, I think what you were saying about the social and global well-being aspects being as important as the circular economy that's starting to resonate with more and more people and it fits in with Kay Raworth's donut economics and um, you know various circular economy thinkers are, are trying to come up with models for that um, but I guess you know trying to come up with something that really enables us to hold companies to account and know whether something is really worthwhile or just a nice story is is the difficult bit so so coming back to apparel exchange then when did you come up with the idea for that and how did you start to suss out the the appetite for it and so on yeah so i mean both my kids are, are at primary school and it was really when my oldest one layla went to school that i was like oh my goodness you know we you know how easy is it to kind of reuse uniform and where do you get it from and how do you know where it's come from and my goodness they grow so quick and you know I'd obviously seen it throughout them being toddlers and babies and it just seemed that because uniform is so uniform and generic by design and color that it actually lended itself really well to kind of a circular business model one where it was wasn't led by people's sense of individual representation, you know, where fashion, you know, is far more individual, uh, um, you know, representation of yourself. But I, I, I figured back then that, you know, couldn't you have a lease model? Why couldn't you have a, you know, a membership model, a subscription model around uniform? And this is one of the biggest this is how we consider our changing our relationship with products and consumption is that we don't own things, but we have access to them. That allows us, as you well know, to manage um, the quality uh, of the product coming into the, you know, into circulation, how it's managed during use in terms of maintaining it properly and repairing it. And of course, what we do with it at the end of life. So, you know, it's astonishing and without, it's astonishing how much clothing still probably ends up in landfill, how much clothing still gets chucked out because there's a button missing. Um, and I think, you know, when you start being quite realistic about how much is actually going for reuse, even in the UK, and I think I just find it hugely astonishing that, you um, that I, I just find it, it, it just really jarred that we, that, that, you know, that we were allowing, that we allow so much product just to kind of just be wasted. And so, so yes, yeah, so that was kind of, uh, that was kind of the inspiration around the uniform, really. And no one had done it. And no one had done it before. You get reused projects, but no one had actually done the circular thing with school uniform. No one had said, let's hire this, let's lease it, you know, uh, have a have a membership model and so I was really also trying to leapfrog over reuse um like a reuse project 
um, I was really wanting to just leapfrog right into a circular service and have all these wonderful people, the 10 to 15 deep green population of the UK coming to us saying, we get it and we want to work with you. Okay, so did you start with just one school or did you find several schools to participate? How did you get going? So it's quite interesting. Certainly last week, there was a lot of media around the cost of kids going back to school, the cost of uniforms. So it really supported um, supported their policy area too, as, as well around that. So that was good. Um, and we have probably peaked to work with about 18 um, and we've probably got about 15 at the moment that we work with. And when we work with the school, we work with them on all different levels. So, um, you know, to kind of give you an overview of what we're doing with them at the moment, we kind of do donation drives, uh, we collect the uniform and we process it for resale. Um, but we also provide educational sessions um, and we've just started offering like sewing classes and things like that to the kids as well. And, um, and providing talks to the staff um, as a whole so that they understand the importance because the, I think the awareness level by adults as well as young people around kind of the clothing supply chain is actually really low and kind of really poor. And, um, you know, we, you know, I feel a great sense of duty to actually help people understand, you know, what's going on in the supply chain, whether it's uh, working conditions or pollution or carbon impacts or, you know, Aral Sea being completely dried out because the water's been diverted for cotton production. And, you know, I think probably one of the biggest mantras that I've felt, um, you know, one of my mantras and one of the things I say to people that I work with is like knowledge is empowerment. You know, if you tell and you work with people to let them know everything that they need to know to make a better decision or stick with their existing decision, um, I feel that's really important. And um, I don't think there's many people I've come across in the last two years who I haven't actually had an honest conversation with them and they haven't gone, oh my goodness, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to carry on doing what I always did. And, and so I really feel that knowledge is empowerment. And we're seeing a lot more of that in the media around, you know, the impacts of climate change. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from, from my um, you know, kind of personal reflections. When I first started getting into sustainability, and it kind of started with organic food from a health perspective, but I found that every time you take another step to do something in a, a more sustainable, more circular way, that empowers you to then think about the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. So yeah. you go from being from feeling, as you said, feeling really bad about not knowing, you know, how much you were participating in this take make waste economy and realizing just how bad it is in all sorts of ways not not just for the um you know carbon emissions but um the health of people in the supply chain and all that kind of stuff mm. but once you start to do something no matter how small that can then lead on to a whole series of things and i think having conversations about those changes that we've all made is the really important thing you know getting it into the mainstream and i think what I'm really enthused about is the change in the conversation in the media. I absolutely think the media are now giving it the time it needs 
that it's never had before. It's mainstream news all the time, which I think is really encouraging, you know, um, for the 20 odd years I've worked in this sector, essentially, you know, it's been Greta Thunberg, you know, in the last year, who's made more impact than I ever have, you know, and you just, the time is right, but the time's critical. And that, again, is what is really sharpening and focusing people's mind. But the media is really doing the right job now, which is not allowing anyone to bury their heads in the sand, making people more and more accountable and companies more accountable, informing people more. And I think, you know, if we can really build on that and build on that, you know, we're going to we're going to get to a tipping point where we're talking about all the great things that are happening and all you know, all, all the fabulous things that are changing around us, you know, and I, you know, I'm, I am an optimist, by the way, I am an optimist. Yeah, I think, I think you have to be optimistic. And coming, coming back to the sewing classes that you talked about for the children, um, that brought to mind something um, I was listening to Dr. Patsy Perry at University of Manchester talk about on, again, on Radio 4, um, a couple of months ago, they were really trying to encourage youngsters to think about being individual in different ways. So yeah. using vintage clothing, um, customising your own clothing and so on, and kind of making yeah. the point that if you're buying what's being presented to you by these fast fashion companies, yeah. even though you only wear it once, it's still not individual. You know, you've just no. bought what's been pushed towards you. And, and actually, you can be much more imaginative and creative in different ways with slower fashion and so is yeah. that the kind of thing that you're trying to encourage with the with the children you know kind of customizing your own clothes as a way to mm. look different and and uh be creative yeah i mean i'm really glad you raised that catherine because and it's so the reason why i was smiling there was that you know hearing patsy very talk around that issue is something that has been going through my head for the last year or so. The, the fact that, you know, inherently we're all creative and inherently we're all individuals and we seem to have allowed our sense of creativity being to be dictated to by the high street. So we wear what they tell us to wear and we all wear the same thing and, you know, um, and even though it doesn't suit our body shapes or it doesn't suit our skin tone or we don't feel comfortable in it. And, you know, it's become, uh, I was thinking about it in the car last night, actually, as well, because I thought, I think there's a TED talk in this. You know, actually, uh, you know, why are we allowing commerce to dictate our individuality and our creativity? And, of course, that is where the sewing class is really again, encourage people to, you know, just to kind of switch something up, change, change the way it looks on them or repair something. It's, you know, it's hugely, I keep using the word empowering, but it's hugely empowering to actually fix something and continue wearing it. You've invested in it. And so there is something again about that ownership and that pride and that satisfaction you get from making something, something that you can carry on wearing um, using a skill uh, to keep something going. I think there's more in that, you know, if we can really influence young people to, to take back the ownership of their own creativity, I think we'll we'll see a huge rejection of kind of mass purchasing on the high street. Um, but yeah, coming back to the children, I think the whole thing about creativity and play and, you know, maybe, um, you know, bringing art into it and stuff and getting people 
to experiment with things and, and having mini uh, fashion shows and just playing around with stuff um, could get them to be more adventurous and start taking a bit more ownership of what they wear and that, that kind of stuff. So, so we, as I said, we work with lots of schools. What we generally find is that lots of families, and if we, you know, if we start at the young people, they understand what we're trying to do. Uh, they understand donating garments in. They understand that we need to wash them and process, and they understand that they need to be sold. Um, they're not generally the purchasers because we target primary age children. So you might have a customer, which is the adult, and the end user is the child, but it's actually the customer that we need to influence. Now, the customer is the parent. So what we find is everyone is willing to donate. People find it very easy to donate. So it's a little bit around that, you know, that feedback loop that we have with the circular economy. And we also have it around behaviors that people now understand that donating things into any type of organization is a good thing because they're not throwing it away. It's a bit like recycling and that cycle. They're not throwing it away. So people are really comfortable with doing that. But not everyone has made the connection with reusing something, donating something in, but actually also buying something that's pre-worn. And so this is the challenge that we have. So we have a really kind of solid customer base who will just always shop with us, who always come to us, who completely understand it. It is a lifestyle choice. Um, and we have a whole bunch of people and it's the majority that we then need to influence and get them thinking differently. So if they understand it, they like, they totally buy into it. And for a lot of people that we talk to, they start, they're coming round. You know, as I said to you earlier, you know, people, if they're prepared to stop, you know, they want to have a conversation around it. And that's a really positive thing. Um, and maybe next time they won't just donate that they'll buy something or they might donate and the next time they'll buy. Then you sometimes need to anonymize it because you need to sort of represent it as something that's new, even though it's pre-worn, everything's quality uh, checked. We're, we're working towards a Revolve certification at the moment. But, you know, the um, I'll tell you a wee bit more about that in a minute, but the the fact is that actually we think that customers and, and users need to feel like it's new to them, you know, the, you know, and again, that, that makes this whole thing just even more complicated from behavior perspective. Does it matter that Dylan wore that before you wore it and then Felix is wearing it after you, you know, or, um, or would you prefer really, do you care? Do you care as an end user, you know, at a primary school? Um, maybe I think with the fashion garments, it's maybe something that's more important, you know, particularly like vintage or, you know, um, we call it vintage the 80s and the 90s now, don't we? But, you know, we were when we were young. Uh, so, uh, you know, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And again, I think it just goes to show, like if you're talking about fashion and all the subsets of clothing, how we need to get the messaging right to get people to really kind of buy into what's cool, you know? Yeah, I think it just shows just how many opportunities are out there to be discovered to create value out of waste. And I think that, you know, there's just some uh, brilliant stuff happening. Lucy Antal from Feedback Global on an interview a couple of days ago, she was talking about using spent beer grains, which was part of that Circular Economy Scotland um, study to make 
granola and uh, flour for bread. Um, so oh, that, nice. you know, that's kind of yeah. better because their philosophy is repurpose food waste, first of all, into food for humans and then yeah. into food for animals and then to condition the soil. And the last option should be energy from waste. What, what I just wanted to quickly talk about was the service. You know, as I said, I kind of was hoping that we'd be able to leap, and I'll keep this really short. I was really hoping that we would leapfrog over kind of the reuse phase. We needed to do it to build the profile of the organisation, and we've processed over 10,000 garments. We've got all sorts of useful data about how, you know, who made them, what went wrong with them when we got them, and and all sorts of stuff that really helps us develop the market, um, our business. But we are ultimately trying to, you know, create a circular service. And so, you know, we started off looking into producing our own school uniform, low impact, particular materials and the investment portfolio we would need and the competition that we see on the high street, it just was too high risk. So what we're doing this for one year, we're running a trial. So we, we have a small group of families who are basically providing uniform for a set fee, but they get replacements throughout the year. And what we're using, what the reason why we're doing that is to gather data about how many times people replace the uniform and, you know, their understanding of this type of service. And the likelihood is we will look to develop a membership model that will launch next summer where people will pay a set fee for access for uniform. And that set fee will be whatever it is per year, it paid up front and they will get access to a number of garments, which they will be able to exchange as the child grows. And then they hand it all back at the end of the year and we start the whole thing off again as they go back into school or either it will run and they will keep the uniform going because children don't like grow over the summer. You know, I mean, they grow all through the year and that's probably the big thing um, that we're trying to do there. So rather than everyone going, oh my goodness, they're back to school, let's buy a year's worth of uniform of which they use half. We're saying you just buy into this service and you just get the uniform as you need it. So you don't have this mad rat rush into town with everyone else and you just get access to the uniform as you need it. And you might not need a lot, or you might need loads. You know, your child might grow massively over the course of the year, and it becomes really expensive, or they might not grow hardly at all. And so this is what we're trying to do. We're just trying to disrupt people's behaviours and purchasing behaviours. So we'll run this engagement with this family for a trial, these families for a trial this year, gather the data, and then really launch that membership model um, which will be available to people across the UK and launch that next summer. And that will be where I think we'll go, go probably circular. Um, and all of the garments, again, will be pre-worn as well. So, uh, yeah, we're not going to go down our own production. It's just it's too much right now. So. Yeah, I think it could be a really promising model. And I notice one of the case studies I collected really early on, a subscription service for uh, children's trainers or sneakers as they call them in America easy kicks so right. it kind of started off it, it was supported by Nike and used Nike uh, shoes but was you know badged as a standalone entity and I noticed in the last couple yeah. of months it's now been kind of rolled out as part of mainstream oh, Nike services it? yeah so that's Bad. obviously um, you know it's it's been a few years in the evolution 
Um, but yeah. it's obviously got to a stage where they're happy to be associated with it and want to mainstream it. So that's yeah. encouraging. It really is. And, you know, I'm so glad you again, you've raised that because, uh, you know, we have Vega, the baby wear lease model in Copenhagen. And I was out seeing them last year just to kind of gain learning from them. And I think I think that's the thing, isn't it, Catherine? You know, people, there's some great ideas bubbling away. There's some brilliant ideas. And it's just about getting enough customers or being sure enough about what you're trying to do. And, you know, um, uh, throughout the last couple of years and every day I say to myself, well, look, this is at the moment we're still experimenting. We're still trying to work out what's the best way to do this. It's mainstreaming that membership model around children. And Vigo have done a huge amount in Copenhagen um, to really push that that model forward as well. And, you know, I'm kind of hanging on to the coattails of, of front runners like those organizations saying, well, if you're doing it with that product over there, can we do it with this kind of product over here? And, um, and um, I think there is a way for us all to really kind of collaborate and use our collective uh, services to really start engaging more and more with, with more and more parents and carers and families who, who actually would really benefit from kind of switching into these types of services. So, um, you never know, it might just suddenly all happen. So, yeah. Well, let's hope it takes off in all sorts of different directions and, and uh, you know, inspires different people for baby wear and adult clothing and other sectors to yeah. start start thinking about access instead of ownership you know as professor yeah. walter style says why do you want to own something that just depreciates the minute you've bought it is there anybody that you'd recommend as a future guest for the podcast is he i'm probably going to recommend a couple of people who are colleagues that i've worked with over the years in the social economy the first is a guy called peter lavelle and he um, set up the glasgow wood recycling project so you can see you know there's a social economy solution it's around wood it's got huge amount of creativity um, and it's engaging a, a lot of people in terms of back into kind of meaningful work the other one is uh again another colleague uh, a woman called sam moyer um who leads and and founded merry-go-round so a, not a dissimilar model to the one we have at the moment um and uh, but focused on baby and toddler stages izzy that's been fascinating and all sorts of learnings i think for other businesses and social enterprises in that so thank you and how can people find out more about apparel exchange and get in touch with you so we've got a website and um there's lots of information there or they can if they're really interested they can just email me directly it's izzy at apparelexchange.co.uk um, but our website is www.apparelexchange.co.uk. We've got an online shop. We've got a shop in Glasgow. You can give me a call, but message me first. We've got all the social media channels from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. So yeah, a lot the usual, the usual ways, but um, we love hearing from people. We love having the discussions around this whole issue as well. So um, yeah, come and join our community is kind of how we're, how we're looking to, to take this forward so great stuff so we'll put all those links in the show notes if people haven't got a pen and paper handy when they're listening and good luck with the next phase of apparel exchange look forward to hearing how that goes and thanks very much for taking the time to do the podcast Catherine thank you so much
If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website, rethinkglobal.info, or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.